The following is presented to you by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. All right, glad to have you guys here this morning. Um, so as your notes say, we are uh, continuing our study uh, in fearing God rather than man. And uh, it's funny, Chris Brown actually mentioned this to me yesterday that yeah, maybe we should talk to Joe. He's kind of exercising some fear of man here and leaving and making us do these lessons while he is out on vacation. Um, no, but we are, are glad that he and Kim are able to get away for a little while and enjoy some time together. Actually, I think it was her birthday this week. So if you haven't, uh, maybe reach out to her and just uh, wish her a happy birthday. But uh, as it says at the top here, we're into week three. So just to summarize a little bit, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Joe started with week one with the introduction to this class, looking at an overview of the fear of man, um, and then realized that last week was our Equipping the Saints conference, and we weren't able to get into week two. So I believe those notes will be made available online if you're interested in that. That's going over an intro into the fear of God. Um, but we're going to keep moving along here, uh, so we are now technically in week three, and we're going to look at how and why we fear others. Uh, but before we begin, let's just commit our time to the Lord. Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning. It's already been such a, uh, a blessed time just getting to focus on Christ and all that he accomplished on the cross, and that we now as believers have been crucified with Christ and is no longer I, uh, us who live, but Christ who lives within us. Um, and because of what Christ accomplished, we can now be reconciled to you. There's nothing that we have done in ourselves to, to earn that. It is only because of Christ's blood. So just so uh, amazing to get to focus on that this morning and partake of communion together. Right now, as we continue through uh, this section on fearing uh, God, fearing you rather than fearing man, uh, that we would look at this fear of man and understand it for what it really is. It is, uh, it is a sin that we need to be actively um, fighting against. So... Lord, please just give me clarity, uh, wisdom from your word uh, as I teach through this, and pray that we would um, leave here today equipped to be able to handle this better. We love you. Pray this now in your name. Amen. So just by uh, way of introduction and review, as we kind of already walked through the, um, the past couple of weeks, so, yeah, like I said, this week we're going to be looking at how and why we fear others. Um, but first, before we do that, I think it's good that we define what we're looking at. So on our first page here, we have a definition. I pulled this from a Cripplegate article. If you've never uh, been to the cripplegate.com, uh, they have uh, a lot of great blog post articles that are very helpful in um, really uh, many instances. But this one particularly looking at how to destroy uh, a fear of man. Uh, so they define it as the fear of man is when you think you need something from man to live, to be happy, to be fulfilled, etc. But you wonder uh, if you might not get it. So they give some examples. Uh, for instance, if you need comfort, you'll fear physical pain. If you need the approval from others, you'll fear being criticized. If you need love, you'll fear rejection. If you need admiration for attractiveness, you'll fear getting fat. And I promise that was not my words, that was theirs. Uh, I did not come up with that example. But it is true. Uh, but the one thing, the common thread that we see through all of these is that um, we are, in these instances, trying to find our joy and our fulfillment in man or the world rather than finding it in God. Um, and then last week, this is actually uh, just looking back at some examples that Joe gave in week one. 
We see this in Abram, where he feared Pharaoh that would kill him because of Sarai, his wife, and her beauty. So he told a lie, saying it was his sister, which I think is technically a half-truth. Um, we have Jacob, who flees to uh, Laban because of fear of that Esau would kill him. Moses flees after killing a man, um, knowing that it could result in punishment and death. We see Saul responding in jealous anger to David's ascendancy. And then lastly, we see here, um, you guys all know the account of Peter denying Christ. Um, so as it was discussed in week one, this is something that we all deal with. This is, a, this is something that we um, all experience. We all battle with this sinful fear of man. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overcome you, but such as is common to man. But what we realize by reading through that is, yes, it's common to all man, but it is a temptation. It is a sin. So we have to understand that this fear of man is something that is sinful, and therefore we have to be fighting against it. And because it is sin, we understand that there are some dangers and implications uh, if we are fearing man rather than fearing God. Uh, this list is by no means uh, complete. I'm sure there are other nuances, other things that, um, that you may think of that aren't on this list, but I just grabbed a few as seen in Scripture. So we see first that it's a snare and a curse. So in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The idea of the snare there is a, like a hunter's trap. So an animal is coming through the woods, and that, that trap catches them, it snares them, and, and you know what ends up happening when the hunter comes and finds them in that trap. They're killed. So we see here that it's a very deadly snare, and Jeremiah 17.5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So there's actually cursed language being used for those who find their comfort, their strength uh, in the flesh rather than in God. Next, looking at Proverbs, um, we, we could take a whole section just looking at this alone and, and looking through Proverbs. We, we went through Proverbs uh, a while back, but it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So just by implication there, if we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, uh, we know that the fear of man then is foolish. It shows misplaced allegiance. In Galatians 1.10, it says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I could not be a servant of Christ. So we're putting our allegiance, our faith in man and in the world rather than serving Christ as we should. And we see an implication of this in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we're treasuring the opinions and the thoughts uh, and the praise of men rather than uh, of Christ, rather than of God, we know that that's where our heart is, is not in fearing the Lord, but in fearing man. Uh, moving on, it says it lowers our view of God. So in Matthew 10, 28, it says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, it's, it's, it's hard to, to lay it in those terms, but the most that a man can do to us is affect our body, is kill us. Not that I would hope that for anyone here. But that's really where the extent of their power ends. Whereas with God, we see from this verse that he can destroy both the soul and body in hell. So how much more should we be fearing God rather than man who can only affect the body? 
Um, next, it reveals idols within our hearts. I believe Joe had uh, mentioned this book last week, When People Are Big and God is Small, uh, by Edward Welch. I would highly recommend, um, if you're looking to read more on this topic, to, to pick that book up and give it a read. Um, but on this uh, talk of idols, uh, Welsh says, All experiences of fear of man share at least one common feature. People are big. They have grown to idolatrous proportions in our lives. They control us. Since there is no room in our hearts to worship both God and people, whenever people are big, God is not. Therefore, the first task at escaping the snare of the fear of man is to know that God is awesome and glorious, not other people. So we see ultimately what this is doing. It's, it's placing other people on the throne above God in our hearts. It's making them an idol uh, above God, which we know um, God despises. He is a jealous God. And then lastly for this list, it does not ascribe glory to the Lord. Uh, we see um, this mentioned in Revelation 15, verses 3, in the first part of verse 4. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? So we see here by not ascribing the fear of the Lord in our lives, we're, we're also robbing God of his glory and giving it to man instead. We're taking it from the creator and giving it to the creation, which we cannot do. So we see that there are many dangers and many implications of this sinful fear of man. Any questions up to this point? Feel free to just raise your hand. Usually, I, I always tell this to people when I teach. Uh, usually, I work with middle schoolers who just blurt out whatever they want to say. So uh, it would be great to see a, a hand up. But you, can, you can just come out and say it, too. I don't really care. All right. So as we now have defined it, we understand that it is a sin, and we've looked at the dangers and implications of the sinful fear of man. We now want to look at how it manifests in our lives. So if you look at the next page, on page three, uh, this is a really helpful graphic. Um, actually just came out, I just finished my uh, first semester in TES, and one of the classes that I took was an intro to biblical counseling. And um, uh, Pastor Hardy uh, gave this graphic to us, and I think it's really helpful looking at um, just the, the, the fruit and the root of our sin, because uh, as we're going to see, uh, there are, you know, as you look at this graphic, there are all of these apples, or presume, presume they're apples. Um, so look at all the fruit on this tree, and these are those outward sins that manifest. So fear of man, um, anger, jealousy, all of these things are the fruit, the, the outward sin that we're acting upon, that we see. Um, but we know that that's not where that sin begins. Um, you know, I I think we've, we've said this of David, you know, David didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'm going to go commit adultery with Bathsheba. There were other things working in his heart that led him to that point. That was the fruit. That's what was displayed, that outward sin. But there were inward sins manifesting within him that then brought about this fruit. So we see as we look at the fruit, go down into the tree, we see this root of sinful fear and sinful anger, and then ultimately this taproot of pride we're gonna, I'm going to kind of break these out a little bit more as we go on, but just kind of walking through this graphic. So we have this taproot of pride, um, self-worship, you know, self-protection, all these things. We'll look at some of them later. But we see that this pride ultimately is what f is feeding and growing within us to manifest in these fruits. So you have the sinful fruits and the sinful roots. And then we'll look at the, it even goes a step beyond that to a soil of unbelief where we are then doubting God's word and God's character, but... And we'll look at that here in just a moment. 
So then uh, on page four, so as we've just talked about, I think we need to understand what those sinful fruits are. We need to be able to identify those in our lives because those are the outward signs. These are the sins that we, will act, that are, we are outwardly committing, um, particularly looking at the, the sinful fruits of a fear of man. So if we're going to successfully battle the sinful fear of man, we need to understand how it manifests itself in our lives. And I, I picked just three here, and these are kind of um, generalizations. There are a lot of specific nuances of a fear of man I think could fit in all of these. Um, and if there are any that aren't listed here or maybe something that you've experienced, uh, please feel free to share, but we'll just, we'll just walk through these here. Uh, so the first one, and I think Joe mentioned this last week, is being a people pleaser. This is, could just really be a synonym for a fear of man. Um, but we see it's doing whatever it takes to be liked by others. Um, now we have this caveat looking at Philippians 2.3. We do desire to put others' needs before our own. Um, you know, it says, with humility and mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So we know that we need to have others uh, in mind ahead of ourselves. We need to be humbling ourselves. Um, but when this moves to then finding our joy and our fulfillment in others uh, and their thoughts of us, uh, we're going to see that, um, you know, or even if we're willing to sin to be able to please other people, that's when it moves into the realm of a sinful fear of man. And just some examples here. So giving into peer pressure, I think, is another uh, term Joe used last week um, in doing something sinful to please others. Uh, and, and this one, um, I'll confess, I, I, I'm kind of guilty of this one, overcommitting. Uh, just never wanting to say no to someone if they ask you that, hey, this needs to get done. Do you mind doing it? Do you mind helping me with this? Hey, do you have a little bit of time today to help? And, you know, just <laughs> confess to you, me, I, I, if there's something that needs to get done and I can do it, I want to do it. Um, but really what this is talking about here is overcommitting, even when you know it would be wise not to, when you have other commitments, other things that um, you need to be doing, but you want to be pleasing those who are asking, so you disregard it and choose to do it anyway. An example here I gave was from Exodus 18. Uh, you don't need to turn there. It's just talking of uh, Moses coming before and judging the people, and his father-in-law actually confronts him in this and says, this is not good what you're doing. Um, it's going to, you're going to wear yourself out and wear the people out as well. So, um, we saw here Moses just putting too much onto himself, um, but just doing it so he would be able to please others. And thankfully, his father-in-law actually confronted him in this. Uh, and then another example of this, of being a people pleaser, is, you know, you need to ask yourself, am I basing my decisions on how others will perceive me rather than on how God's word has commanded me to live? Um, the example I gave here was in Pilate. You know, we think a Pilate came before, you know, he had, Christ was before him. He found no guilt in him. He came out to the people, um, but the people called to crucify him anyway. And wanting to please the crowd, he did. He handed him over to be crucified. Um, so these are just a, a few specific instances, but I think it's really important that we examine these things knowing that while some may start out good, you know, wanting to help others, wanting to humble ourselves and put others before, before us, if, if we're doing it to a point where, you know, we're, we, we won't, really find joy or fulfillment until we're be able to do these things. And you're just looking for that gratification, looking for that praise, looking for that adoration from other people. If it gets to that point, we really need to be stop, you know, stop and step back and examine ourselves and, and really see what our motives are in serving others. Are we doing it according to what Paul commanded us in Philippians of, of wanting to humble ourselves and, and, and help others and following God's word and, um, doing so because it's a command there, or are we wanting to do this 
for that praise, for that adoration from man and being that guy or that girl who does, can just do it all, right? Um, so really we need to examine our motives um, behind you know, the reason why we're doing that. Any questions on that one? You're going to make me feel like I know too much. You know, I'm such a good teacher. You guys don't have any questions. Uh, so next one here, uh, and I think this is a big one. Um, finding, uh, you know, we're talking about identity and self-esteem. So uh, just listed here, uh, our perceived value or thoughts of ourselves are based on what others think about us, which could be labeled codependency, rather than finding our identity in Christ and in the world. And I, I think really num this first one here, being a people pleaser, this is really the, uh, the effect of it. Um, you know, we, we want to be a people pleaser because really our thoughts of ourselves are based on what others think of us and whether we're getting that praise, whether we're getting that adoration from others. Um, we really find our identity in that as being, you know, someone who's helpful, someone who someone can depend on. Not that those are bad things, but again, we have to step back and examine the motives of why we're doing this. Um, uh, and then uh, just the verse I gave there, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. You know, this calls, you know, uh, for us to seek the things above, not the th to seek the things that are here on earth. For our life is hid with Christ in God. So as believers, we are not called to find our identity in the world or, you know, in, in our ability to be able to please others. Our self-esteem, our value is not based on anything that the world provides. Our value is based in the fact that we have been united together in Christ because of his blood that was shed for us. We are now uh, one people. You know, read, read Ephesians 2. Um, talks about that we have been built together. We are being built up as, uh, with, with Christ as the foundation. That, this is where we find our value. You know, we don't find our identity and value in the world. We find our identity and value in Christ. And I'll, I won't talk too much about it. I don't want to steal your thunder, Jordan, but... Um, just, so just seeing some things that this can result in, uh, you know, if we're giving into the sinful fear of man, if we're identifying with the world and finding our self-esteem in man, uh, well, I guess first off, before we go through this list, we ultimately know that man is fallible, man is sinful, man will let us down in this area. Um, so these are some things that can result um, in that. So we have anger and depression, so your mood or emotions are changed based on others' opinions. Rather than saying, as it does in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say, rejoice. Then looking to man, there could be paranoia and anxiety, scared of what others might find out about you. You, um, you, you keep yourself guarded because uh, if some, somebody finds out something about you that you don't want them to know, their opinion of you might change, and then your whole... Uh, identity and self-esteem will plummet. Um, so you're very paranoid that someone's going to find out that thing about you that you might not want them to know, which, by the way, it destroys fellowship. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you know, we're called to be a, a people here together, living amongst one another and serving one another and um, being hospitable, and, and it's, we're, we're called to be doing these one another. So that naturally means we need to be integrated into each other's lives. We need to be close so if you're paranoid and guarded about how others are going to perceive you, this is naturally going to kill the fellowship of the body. So it's, it's imperative that we fight against this. Um, and then this, uh, the verse you guys probably know well from Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, They're talking about bringing it all to prayer and God, and that peace uh, of God, which is beyond all understanding, will um, comfort our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The last one I have here is uh, discontentment and bitterness. 
Um, so this can be toward others when they let you down, or ultimately it can be toward the Lord if our expectations aren't met. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, so I won't get into too much now, but I, I think a lot of it is based on what, what are our expectations in this life? Um, um, you know, what, what, what do we think we deserve in this life? And as we're looking for our self-esteem and identity in the world and, and have these assumptions of what we think we deserve, not looking to the truth of God's word, but to our own perception, our own experiences, and saying, this is, this is how people should be treating me. When they ultimately let you down, uh, it's going to result in discontentment, both toward them and toward God. Yeah, Mark? I find it unique. You know, we, we always see where the world creeps in on church, and not necessarily in a good way, but even in a light way. You know, for example, you get, that must be for me, but my God, you get two guys together, and even in church, it's like, well, how'd your week go at work? And you know, well, what do you do for a living? And those things mm-hmm. we get our identity from. Not, not that work is bad. We know that work is not bad. We know that being good at your whatever you do is not bad. Mm-hmm. But we talk about those things much more often in most churches. This one may be a little bit of an exception. Instead of saying, you know, how was your walk this week? What are you reading this week? What's God teaching this week? You know, where, where have you told somebody about the gospel this week? And those type of things get our identity from who we are. I'm a sinner that's been redeemed. Hmm. You know, and, and these are the things that God has shown me. It's, well, I was busy this week. I did this. We had this at work. We did this. I mowed the grass. You know, the things, the busyness of the world even creeps in in church in those little ways. Now, hmm. those are bad in themselves, but sometimes those take precedence over our true identity in Christ. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, really, you just need to be thinking, how, how would I answer that question if someone said, hey, who are you? Am I you know, fill in your occupation, fill in whatever you want there, or am I my believer, my follower of Christ? That's, yeah, it's all tied into our identity, which, yeah, it's really good. So then lastly, this one's kind of more nuanced. I, I thought it was appropriate, just um, really given the times that we're in now and what um, we as the church will be experiencing, what we as believers will be experiencing, um, is talking of a fear of persecution and suffering. Um, so, really looking at this, it's, uh, you know, a fear of how the world is going to treat us as believers. And when we're giving into that fear of man in this area, we're really just admitting that we're afraid to be treated like Christians. Um, you know, uh, we look at, you know, our, maybe our little bubble of West Michigan here and how we have been relatively safe from any type of persecution, particularly when we think of what's happened throughout church history or what's happening in other parts of the world now where we really haven't faced persecution um, or really any kind of suffering, but we know that that's coming. Um, you know, we know just with, with the world that we're living in and the, the, the culture that we're living in now that there is, it's becoming more and more openly hostile toward believers. So I think this uh, is very appropriate to be looking at um, be, because as these days are coming, you know, that, that, that question that um, Mark posed, you know, when... Are, are you going to be able to stand firm and say, I am a believer? Is that where you're going to find your identity? Um, especially when times of persecution and suffering are coming and there are those who are pressing on you. So not so really, if, if you want to look at the first two, these are us going out and looking to other people to find adoration and praise. Whereas this one is other people coming in on us and threatening um, you know, persecution, suffering, you know, all of these things are, are coming upon us now. And this is saying, how then are we going to react? Um, are we going to react fearfully? As we'll see some examples here, are we going to stand firm in the truth, uh, identifying as believers? 
so yeah, just that first uh, sub-point. Um, so just looking to Scripture and, and seeing that this really isn't something we should be surprised about. Um, we know from, and I, I apologize, that reference is wrong. It's actually John 15, um, 18 through 23, not Matthew. So uh, if you just cross that out. Uh, but it says uh, in there, you know, if the world hates you, or if the world hates Christ, it's going to hate believers also. Um, you know, uh, Christ goes on to say, you know, if, if you were living as the world, the world would love you. Um, but because we as believers are identifying with Christ and, 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 you know, standing firm on what we believe in, we know that because the world hated Christ, it's going to hate us as well. And then uh, from 1 Peter 4, actually Joe um, had a great message on this a few weeks ago, talking about the fact that, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when we go through trials. We shouldn't be surprised at the suffering that we come upon as believers. If you read, you know, through the, through the book of 1 Peter, um, it's an amazing book, particularly now given the times that we're in. Um, and just thinking about what the believers in that time were dealing with, you know, they were under the persecution of Nero, the, um, they were scattered abroad throughout all of these different countries, and, and um, Peter was writing to them to say, you should not be surprised at these trials that you going, are going through, because they are used to, by God to refine you. There's that language used in those verses talking about a, a purifying, refining fire that the Lord is using to conform us into the image of Christ. So, um, and I think this is amazing, just in the view of suffering in general. You think of someone who is not of Christ and goes through these kind of sufferings and, and things that they endure. Um, it, it seems purposeless, purposeless or meaningless. There's, there's no real reason why they're enduring this suffering. Um, but Peter here gives us this hope that, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised. It's, it's refining. It's used, as, used to make us more like Christ. There is a, a meaning and a purpose behind this suffering. Um, so we, we can't shrink back because we're facing this persecution, because, you know, um, as believers, we have been called to suffer as, uh, uh, for the cause of Christ. So then uh, last point here at the top of ver uh, page five. Um, so this is showing just uh, a couple of the dangers of sinful fear of persecution. Uh, we really find that it results in a lack of evangelism. Our witness is destroyed in the world because when we face hostility in the world and we shrink back, and you know, we are no longer standing for Christ and his word, um, and we're fearing how men are going to react to the gospel, it destroys our witness in the world. Uh, you know, this is a command that's been given us to, to us by God to go forth and make disciples of all nations. You know, this is a command. This is not something we can ignore. It's not optional. Uh, we as believers need to be spreading the word of the gospel. That's why we're still here on this earth. So when we shrink back in fear at what man is going to think about us as believers and the, and the message of the gospel, it, it destroys our message of evangelism. But we see here in 2 Timothy first, uh, 1, verses 6 and 7, um, and just looking at the verse as a whole, you know, we have not been given a spirit of timidity. We have power and love and discipline. You know, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We as believers are now um, reconciled to God. We, we have all of these you know, spiritual blessings and benefits um, uh, through the Holy Spirit and through the work of Christ. So we should not be shrinking back. We should not be fearing man. Again, going back to the verse we talked about, you know, don't fear those who can hurt the body only. Fear those who, or fear the one who can um, destroy the body and the soul in hell. So this should, this should make us want to strive forward and proclaim the gospel boldly to the world. And the last one, and this one is quite devastating. Uh, it could result in conforming to the world. 
So we have a love for this world, we have a love for people, and how they perceive us, finding our identity in these things, finding our self-esteem to be based on these things. Uh, so we see then that it be, our love for the world becomes greater than our love for Christ. See an example of this in the end of Second Timothy. Um, Paul is talking of Demas, who, who has abandoned him for the world. He, he enjoyed the world, so he uh, abandoned Paul. And then we see from uh, these verses here that it can be characteristic of unbelief. This could be proving yourself to be an unbeliever. It says in 1 John 2.15, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if we're characterizing ourselves with the world, if we're identifying with the world, if we're doing, following the courses of this world, I mean, that's, that's Ephesians 2 language. Those who were, um, you know, before, or um, those who are not saved, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, they've been following the course of this world. So if we find ourselves conforming to the world, shrinking back from persecution so that, you know, we can um, be fitting in better with the world, um, that could be showing that our love for the world is greater than our love for Christ, which is absolutely devastating. So any, any questions there or maybe anything that I overlooked as far as sinful fruits so that the actual appearance of the fear of man in someone's life? Yeah, Sherry. Mm-hmm. opposite of the gospel because the, the gospel tells us we're totally depraved and we have to be poor in spirit and mourn over our sin but here we're building these kids up to think completely the opposite about themselves hmm. and um, and I was just thinking that that kind of leads into this other one about fearing persecution you know you get these kids that are growing up and um, you know what do they need to be evangelized for Yeah. No, yeah, that's really good. Because if, if we don't understand that there's a problem, we're not going to look for a solution. Um, so if we, you know, if we've been told to just do what seems right to you, you're, you know, you're, you're great, you're, you know, um, let's build that self-esteem up. Um, you're, you know, just thinking back to the conference last week, it, that's why it's crucial that we start with total depravity when we talk about salvation. We have to understand where man's starting place is. Um, Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There's nothing that we can do for ourselves. Um, so it's not about making ourselves feel great about ourselves. It's realizing that we are wretched sinners that need a Savior. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's a great example. You know, when you're talking about self-esteem in a person, mm -hmm. that, it's a progression. You start with the self-esteem, and then what, what did that begin? a whole generation of people who are entitled. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel like they're entitled to whatever, you know, because they're so great. And, you know, and then that leads on, and, and it makes me wonder, is like, is, you know, because that started being taught, I mean, that's a big thing in schools. You know, is that kind of why we're at where we're at? You know, it's, it's not just jumping off the cliff into all of this other horrible stuff we're dealing with. It was just a progression. And I'm kind of wondering where we're, 
where was the church during all of this? Because I think some of this crept into the church along the way. And, you know, was it yeah. we were, you know, we either had our heads in the sand or, well, that's the world and, you know, we're teaching something different. Yeah, I mean, I think you even see the, the fear of man within the church. I mean, just how churches are capitulating on these different you know, things that they would stand firm on. Now, with the pressure from the world, um, with the LGBTQ and all these things, you know, the, the church is just caving under this pressure to conform with the world. So, yeah. And actually, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I mean, if you look at 2 Timothy 3, um, yeah, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up real quick, um, and we'll we'll kind of reference this a little bit later. I'm sorry, Second Timothy four. Um, so this is Paul um, charging Timothy to preach the word, uh, but then starting in verse three, he talks about a time that's coming. Um, you know, for the starting in verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So this, I mean, that's really describing you know, what you were talking about in this progression that we see is, is because people don't want to be following sound doctrine. They don't want to be living according to the word. They want to be living according to the world. Um, and, that, and that starts with that, that, that thought of self-esteem and, and doing what... I need to do to make myself um, feel good about myself. So yeah, um, so we'll, we'll, I'll reference that a little bit later. But um, anything else before we move on to our sinful roots? All right. So knowing it's important, you know, we, we did need to take some time in looking at the fruits, the actual manifestations of the fear of man, but we need to understand that these are just symptoms. You know, when you go into a doctor's office and you, you list off the symptoms you have, you know, they, they want to hear those things because those are what's going to signal what the actual problem is. I mean, they don't just go and, you know, here, this is for your cough, this is for your sneezing, this is for your runny nose. Like, no, they give you one thing to eliminate the underlying cause, which will then result in the the going away of those symptoms. So when we're looking at sinful fruits and sinful roots, it's good to be able to identify the fruits, but we then need to take that a step further and say, what's being cultivated in my heart that's now resulting in these actions or thoughts um, manifesting in my life? Uh, and I'll be, uh, it's pretty simple. <laughs> it's pride. Um, we'll have, we're looking at different um, uh, nuances of it, but, but ultimately the, the root of all of this is pride. And um, we don't have time to look at all these, but just, just kind of looking through real quick. It's uh, self-worship. I mean, this really, they could all be under the umbrella of self-worship. So we're making ourselves an idol, seeking to glorify ourselves rather than God. Uh, we seek to build our self-esteem, looking to man for praise, acceptance, etc. And then, um, oh yeah, it was Second Timothy 3 that, that I referenced in that one. But yeah, it says, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. And it goes on and on and on to describe those people. Um, but, but ultimately, when we're looking at uh, the manifestation or the roots of these sins in our lives, it more than likely is going to come back to a sin of pride or of, of self-idol worship, where we're putting ourselves in a place above God, where we seek to um, glorify ourselves more than honor God with our lives. Um, so then self-preservation, we're looking to protect ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be ashamed or persecuted. 
Um, and again, referencing those examples from the beginning. Self-pity. I think this is um, um, one that maybe we overlook a little bit, but excessive self-absorbed discontentment with, uh, over our lives. So we see others, um, or we're not getting the, the praise and the adoration that we seek from the world, which will then result in those things that we let, mentioned earlier, jealousy, anger, discontentment, and bitterness. Uh, have the example there of King Ahab who coveted uh, Naboth's vineyard, didn't get it. So you guys know how that continues. Um, Jezebel had him killed so that um, Ahab could have that vineyard. Um, so we see the dangers of letting the, the sin of self-pity kind of go unchecked. Uh, self-confidence, this, this is another, uh, another one that could really categorize a bunch of these. So we trust in ourselves and find safety and security in our way rather than the Lord's. Um, and really at that point, we're like Israel in the book of Judges. We do what's right in our own eyes. We don't seek the Lord and what he has called us to do or how he's called us to live or fearing the Lord. And um, as we mentioned earlier, we, we want to do what's right in our own eyes. So rather we should be saying uh, in Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Even thinking back to that uh, verse talking about the, the being a snare to us. And lastly, self-justification. This is um, what kind of perpetuates all of these sins. You know, we fight to excuse our own actions even if they're sinful. Um, great example from Genesis 3. You know, we have the, the, the sin that resulted in the fall. Um, you know, God's coming to them and saying, Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, Well, the woman who you gave uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So kind of the blame-shifting self-justification here. And then the Lord then went to the, women, uh, to the woman, rather, and she said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So we never want to admit that, that, that we're in sin. We never want to admit that we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, which can result in us kind of passing the buck, as it were, to someone else. So then, um, last part of this section, so we have the fruits and we have the roots. The, so we have the, the fear of man, how this is manifested in our lives. We have the sinful roots of pride that, that cultivate that fear, uh, fear of man. Um, and now we have uh, this next section, which is really what's going to talk about what's, what's feeding that pride. Um, what is it that we uh, are misinterpreting about God or his word that's going to then result in this pride and us looking to ourselves to find the answers? So if we look at Genesis 3, 1 through 5, it really mentions all of these things. So we see the first one here is a temptation to doubt God's word. So uh, this is the account of the serpent coming to Eve um, and telling her that she should eat of the fruit of the tree. And we see here in verse 1 that he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? So placing that seed of doubt in the truth of God's word. Uh, and as we start to doubt the word and, and its truthfulness, we're going to be looking toward other sources, namely ourselves, and what we think is right in our own eyes, to then um, say how we're going to be living in this world. So, so this is that, the, the first thing that can feed into that pride that then results in that sinful fruit. The next one is a temptation to deny God's word. So that's really taking it to that next step. So you're doubting God's word, and then you're outright denying God's word is true. And we see here the example from the serpent in verse 4, saying, surely you will not, or you surely will not die. So again, it's moving beyond doubt to just complete rejection of the word. And the last one here is a temptation to distrust God's character. Um, uh, showing in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your, lie, your eyes will be opened, 
and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we see here that the serpent is tempting Eve by wanting her to distrust God's character and his faithfulness to his, um, or in his truthfulness to what he said. So we see, we see these three things are, are really, and if you look back to that graphic, these are the, the soil that cultivates those sinful roots of pride that then um, result in the sinful fruit of the fear of man. So any questions on those before we move to our, our last section? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's not realizing who we actually are, depraved, sinful creatures. Um, and, and then, uh, how was the phrasing of that, the, the other one? Oh yeah, unrighteousness and self-righteousness. So then it's thinking that we are better than we are. That, that, yeah, and then all of that, you know, if, if we're doubting God's word, if we're denying God's word, or if we're distrusting God's character and his faithfulness, and his trustworthiness, then, then that's what it's going to result in. Uh, we're not going to um, understand who we truly are, and we're going to look to ourselves thinking you know, we can just do whatever what's right in our own eyes. So that's, yeah, that's good. So then uh, just closing out here, uh, I won't get into this too much because, again, I don't want to steal the thunder from Jordan next week. Um, so how do we fight this, fearful, uh, this fear of man? Because I, I don't want to just leave us on this low note. I want to give us a little bit of something to, to hold on to as we leave here today just so I'm not characterized, you know, I, I kind of have a fear of you guys thinking that I'm, you know, the, the guy who's just bringing you down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I do kind of want to uh, equip us here to, to go out and handle this a little bit, um, preparing for next week. So the first one, uh, it seems pretty obvious, but it's very important. Uh, and these also, by the way, are from that Cripplegate article that I referenced earlier. So, so we want to acknowledge that we do fear men and confess it as a sin. You know, it's that old saying, the, the first step in solving a problem is realizing that there is one. So we need to confess this as sin. Um, and he says here, instead of asking, how can I feel better about myself and not be controlled about what people think, that's man-centered thinking, instead we should be asking, why am I so concerned about my self-esteem? And how can I think more on Christ and on the gospel? So as we get our thinking aligned properly, it's going to then affect how we live. So we need to start there in our recognition that it is a sin and then reorient our thinking. So that's here in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man, oh, again, referencing this one we talked about before, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And so on our last page here, uh, ha uh, have, a correct, uh, have correct expectations and desires. Referenced this a bit earlier, but I love this quote um, yeah, from Welsh again from his book. We have a wrong view of what we truly need and what we deserve. All the things that I just mentioned are good things. It is ultimately true that, or is it ultimately true that I need those things? I may want those things. There may be great advantage to having those things. I may function best with those things. But as a Christian, I must ultimately say that no, I don't need these things. The only thing I truly need in this life or the next is for my sins to be atoned for, that I may be reconciled to God. 
Furthermore, the only thing I truly deserve is to spend an eternity in hell for the sins I have committed. Uh, sobering for you. But I think when we have those, expect, those proper expectations, realizing that you know, when we're in the midst of persecution or you know, when um, we're not getting that adoration or that praise from man, what do we truly deserve? We're those from Ephesians 2 who are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are those who have spit in the face of God, have broken his law. We deserve nothing but, sin, uh, but death and judgment and God's wrath for eternity. But we have been given so much uh, in the truth of the gospel and the fact that Christ has reconciled us to God through his blood. And you know, we, just, we just talked about it this morning. So we have been given so much more than we actually deserve and when we remember this, when we encounter those uh, you know, broken expectations from the world, you know, we're going to have this to, to fall back on, understanding that, yeah, this may not have gone the way I thought it was going to go, but man, this is so much better than what I deserve. So I, I, I would ask that you guys focus on this um, and develop your expectations based on this truth. And then, of course, lastly, uh, we need to grow in our fear of the Lord, but we will... I'll pass that off to Jordan for next week. So any final questions as we close? All right, let me pray real quick, and you guys will be dismissed. Father, I just I pray that as we are focusing on this topic of the fear of man and fearing you rather than fearing man, that we would be developing these, uh, these correct expectations or there's nothing we deserve in this life. Uh, e even waking up another day and enjoying your creation is, is a grace from you. Father, we deserve hell and wrath and the punishment for our sins. We have broken your law, and there was no need for you um, to do anything but punish us for that. But Lord, in your grace, in your love, and your mercy, you saw fit to send your Son to live a perfect and righteous life and to die on the cross, taking on the wrath for those sins so that we might have his righteousness accredited to our account. Lord, when we focus on these truths, when we look to the gospel, we understand what these true, uh, you know, what we truly deserve and we frame our expectations rightly. So I pray that as we're living in the world, that we would not be living of the world. We would not be seeking man to find identity or to be building our self-esteem or our value based on their thoughts and opinions, but understanding that as believers bought by the blood of Christ, that we find our identity in him and that our value is based on him and on your word. So Lord, uh, I just look forward to our time next week in looking at how to fear you. Uh, pray for Jordan as he's bringing that uh, to us. And Lord, just uh, pray that we would have a great week. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to a presentation from Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan. No part of this recording may be edited or distributed without prior written consent. For more information, go to mbcmi.org.